The hacks of various Democratic Party organizations has raised the worrying prospect that a foreign government might be trying to influence an election. Private security companies say there is strong evidence of Russian ties to the breaches, but no definitive evidence has emerged linking the Russian government. The FBI has confirmed it is investigating, so what happens now? For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. I'm speaking today with Leo Taddeo, Chief Security Officer for CryptZone, which is a network security and protection vendor. For 20 years, Leo was a special agent in charge with the FBI's New York Cybercrime Division. Leo, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jeremy. So we know that there are a handful of computer security vendors who've said that the Democratic Party hacks appear to have strong ties to Russia. The FBI has confirmed that it's investigating. So I wanted to ask you, how does the FBI approach these kinds of high-profile cybercrime investigations? That's a great question, Jeremy. Just like any other crime, there's uh, a digital crime scene, and the FBI will start with the forensics on the DNT network uh, to gather clues for other other investigative activities. So um, some of the code may be unique. Uh, it may have been used in previous hacks, and that may be the starting point for the FBI to begin to narrow down the suspects, if you will. There are few groups who share tools, so they may have some overlapping signatures. But uh, when you start to look at a number of different indicators, you start to narrow down the groups and even perhaps the individuals behind the attack. So it's just like a lot of other uh, investigative techniques. Um, You begin with what you know and search for similarities, search for other indicators that narrow down the group of suspects, and eventually gather enough circumstantial evidence in a case like this to um, have some confidence in concluding who it was. Now, we know that there's about four different cybersecurity companies that have confirmed CrowdStrike's initial evaluation. CrowdStrike published uh, shortly after the they actually booted the hackers from the DNC systems. CrowdStrike took a pretty extraordinary step with the DNC's permission to publish indicators of compromise and had a very detailed blog post. What can uh, or what sort of cooperation occurs between the FBI and private security companies in a situation like this? Well, first off, it's it's um, good practice for private security companies, third-party mitigation companies, to publish as much information as possible. That type of information is useful to other enterprises in protecting their network. So first, uh, I think it's good practice that um, CrowdStrike published as much as it did. Uh, Second, in terms of the cooperation, there is very good cooperation between third-party mitigation firms and the FBI. Probably not as much as uh, there could be, and many times there are legal reasons for that, meaning a company that's been breached, breached will conduct an internal forensics investigation under attorney-client privilege, and many times the reports that are produced by companies like CrowdStrike are covered by that privilege so that um, they can protect themselves in case of litigation. And in some cases, uh, the full report or every single detail of the report isn't shared with the FBI. So. Uh, In terms of the digital forensics, that's usually shared, but in terms of perhaps what the enterprise did wrong that enabled the hack, uh, some of the practices that may have led to the hack, those are the types of facts that uh, lawyers pounce on for liability reasons, and that may not be shared with the FBI in some cases, depending on how open the victim wants to be. 
But in general, companies like CrowdStrike have very strong relationships with the FBI. Many of the people at CrowdStrike are former FBI agents. Uh, that goes for other investigative firms as well. So the personal relationships are there, the professional relationships are there, and it is a, a collaborative um, effort up to the point where the victim uh, has a right to protect itself from uh, litigation or perhaps if it's a regulated entity from accusations that it failed to comply with some regulation and opens itself up to some uh, regulatory liability. So there are some limits, but in general, it's good. That's really interesting um, that there's a, the, that kind of tension there, um, given that uh, I guess most companies, if they're calling in third-party firms, you know, that might trigger some, you know, regulatory notification requirements, but even still they're worried about potential legal liability, even though a criminal act has occurred. Yeah, and it's unique. It's somewhat unique to cyber that cyber is the type of crime where you sometimes have to force the victim to tell you what happened. That's not a usual uh, situation, a usual relationship between law enforcement and, and the victim. But in cyber, it does happen where a victim uh, is reluctant to uh, report the hack in the first place. And, and, and in many cases, uh, reporting is not required. Uh, that's a problem for law enforcement. But even in cases where they are required to report, there's no uh, absolute obligation to report everything. Uh, so there is some balancing that's done by the general counsel's office and, and certainly the um, IT department in, in terms of, of figuring out what happened and how much to tell law enforcement. So what can the FBI do that private security companies can't do in investigations? Well, it can do a lot. Um, first off, while private security firms, and, and again, cyber is unique in this field. Um, there is no other uh, criminal activity that I can think of that has private security companies with the quality of data and analytical capability that we see in the cyber domain. So if you could imagine financial fraud, um, another um, crime that um, certainly is of concern to major enterprises, we don't see companies have collecting and marketing the kind of intelligence in a financial fraud or money laundering type of uh, criminal activity as we do in the, in the cyber domain. So yes. cyber is unique for third-party mitigation fronts because there is a market for that intelligence and, it, and the market has drawn in capital and it's drawn in expertise and they are very, very capable of collecting and analyzing this type of information, which in, in some ways is competitive to the government. And I'll explain why. Um, if you are a third-party enterprise, you can get some information from the government. You can get some information from from a third-party mitigation firm like Mandiant or CrowdStrike. And in some cases, the quality of that information is on par. There, there are some, in some cases, where there are cases where the FBI doesn't add a lot. In this type of, in this type of case where the suspects are a nation-state actor, uh, the FBI brings an extraordinary amount to bear. And that's because the FBI partners with the rest of the U.S. intelligence community and the um, intelligence community of all of our allied nations. So we have, um, as you know, intelligence involves not just looking at the crime scene, the digital fingerprints that were left behind, but also all of the collection platforms that the U.S. has and that our allies have. So we have an extraordinary ability to collect signals intelligence around the world. We also have a human source network around the world that um, is often the key to solving this kind of uh, crime. Um, and we have um, all of the past cases and past 
experience that we bring to the table and some unique technical capabilities that we bring to the table. So when you combine all of that, the human sources, the electronic collections around the world, the intelligence from all the allied nations, you have a very powerful set of resources to bring to bear that a private enterprise like Mandy and just, you know, as extraordinary as they may be, uh, couldn't in no way ever duplicate. It's something that the, the United States is, is unique and uh, exceptional at. That's a good point. That leads me to my next question, too, was, uh, the, you know, the, the difficulties around attribution. And as you point out that, you know, the FBI has access to worldwide resources, not only of the U.S.'s own intelligence services, but worldwide. So does that make attribution as much of a struggle for the FBI as it is for, say, private industry? Well, um, we certainly have more to work with. So I think um, we we, we do in almost every case have more to work with and can collect information uh, that is not available to uh, third-party mitigation firms like Mandy and CrowdStrike and other companies that collect cyber intelligence. So yes, the FBI has more to work with and can collect more data points to make a case. However, there's not not, not every case is solved. It's not ever not every case is solved to the satisfaction of um, a, a standard. Whether you want to use a, a, a reasonable suspicion standard or beyond a reasonable doubt standard, you know, if you use legal standards, um, but those standards aren't necessary to inform our policymakers. So. What, what the FBI is required to assemble in a case like this and hopefully has the resources to do so. And when I say resources, I don't just mean agents or enough collection platforms. I mean that the bad guys actually made some mistakes or have uh, conducted themselves in a way that lends itself to attribution, which in many cases they, they do. Yeah. Um, but what the FBI is expected to do is to give policymakers enough information so that they can be confident about either a response or a position to take with a nation state like Russia. So it's not necessary to have evidence that's admissible in court, for example, or evidence that proves beyond reasonable doubt. It's, it's necessary to have enough uh, indicators to create a position that policymakers can be confident in. And I think it's something that the FBI does fairly well. Yeah, absolutely. It was really interesting. I mean, in December 2014, after the hacks of Sony Pictures Entertainment, the FBI came out the next month and basically, uh, you know, said that we believe North Korea is behind this, which is probably the fastest, most affirmative attribution of any sort of, you know, cyber attack you know, probably ever by the U.S. government, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is uh, sort of, you know, the question around uh, Guccifer 2.0. You know, we had this actor who came out and actually released what were legitimate documents uh, just shortly after the DNC confirmed it was hacked. I want to ask you what your theory is on Guccifer 2.0 and if you think he is possibly a third party in the network or if he's possibly affiliated you know, with these two Russian groups, which at least CrowdStrike thinks might be loosely affiliated with uh, Russian intelligence services. Right, it's hard to say. Guccifer 2.0 released some information that was not actually acknowledged as being compromised by the CrowdStrike report or by the DNC. So I have a question about whether Guccifer 2.0, as you point out, is is a complete third party in this um, matter, or if, uh, as you also point out, maybe um, 
affiliated with the two, with the two Russian agencies initially identified. And what I mean is this. Uh, the DNC uh, did not initially acknowledge that financial information had been compromised, and um, Gucci for 2.0 later um, released some documents that showed uh, donor information, some detailed personal information, and some detailed um, financial information about their donations to the, to the um, DNC. So um, that that le- that raises a question in my mind: if the CrowdStrike report um, focused on two agencies and did not find compromise of this type of information, or if we're looking at an incomplete report. I'm not sure. It just raises in my mind what exactly was compromised, what was discovered as being compromised, and uh, Gucci for 2.0's release of that type of information. So there's a gap there that I haven't been able to fill. Yeah, and another question that I had too was state-sponsored actors typically have never dumped information for, from a data breach publicly and especially not in such a you know you know on a wordpress blog in a in a very public way i mean does that seem to you like the the mark of a you know a sophisticated intelligence agency agencies that you know R- russia would have yeah so you know I, I look at things like the if you recall the um release of information from mossack fonseca to the panamanian law firm and in the initial release uh, focused on some allies of Putin um, and embarrassed the Putin regime. So if you are um, completely cynical, you might think that that was uh, somewhat aided or encouraged by U.S. intelligence agencies in yep. order to embarrass Putin from that perspective. So this seems to be um, one of many releases that in some way uh, create political problems for major powers like the U.S. and Russia and, and China even, because if you remember the release of uh, some of the information by the New York Times and, and other outlets embarrassed uh, folks in the Chinese regime um, yes. about their wealth and about their commercial ties. So I don't think that this is unprecedented that we see information released, whether it's actually attributed to a nation state or not, and that's part of the problem. But it has become a common practice. We will see more of it. Um, I think we can look back and see a number of incidents where large data dumps have embarrassed um, powerful political figures in China, U.S., and Russia. And in some way, either the person accused in the government um, lashes out and says this is an intelligence operation. Well, in fact, um, there's good indicators that it's an intelligence operation. But that cloud and that inability to definitively say uh, who did it and why creates cover for other uh, activity and other speculation. So I, I think we're going to see more. Of this. So now that the FBI is investigating and is presumably going to do a report, what will happen next? Will it be left up to the White House then to eventually decide how to proceed and, and how to sort of publicly count for what has happened? Right. So the, the, that's exactly what will happen. The FBI will send all the evidence it can. It will um, work with intelligence agencies to formulate uh, some theories about what the evidence proves, uh, who was behind the attack and why. And that evidence will be presented to a group at the White House, including, uh, I'm sure, State Department officials and uh, intelligence officials. And ultimately, the president will have to decide whether 
and how to respond, whether that's with um, through diplomatic channels or through other you know levers of soft U.S. soft power. So there there are a number of tools the president can use. He has said that no options are off the table. Uh, we so there's no cyber uh, response required. He can respond with other tools like sanctions or there, um, there are a number of ways that. Uh, this administration has um, engaged the Russians. I, I think that's, as you pointed out, the uh, sequence of events. The FBI will assemble a report. The White House will uh, consider what the report shows and decide a response. Well, Leo, thank you very much for joining us. Well, great, Jeremy. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I've been speaking to Leo Taddeo, a former FBI special agent and now CSO for Cryptzone. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Thanks for listening.